Well, praise God. It's good to see everybody this morning. You know, listen, I, I think uh, our church is, uh, it's kind of like the Lord has really been trying to speak to us and deal with us about certain things, but I feel like we're sort of on the verge of, of breaking into just, just new encounters with the Lord. And I think sometimes when you, come, when you come in here, you know, it's so easy in any church environment to just go through the motions, to show up for church, to not press in, to not move in any further. But man, Jesus wants to encounter people. He wants to meet people where they're at. Amen. He wants to do something radical in your life. And if you, you know, if you're new with us, uh, one of the things that, that, that may, may be new to, you know, a lot of times in our church, sometimes you'll hear things like tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, and those are in the Bible. They're in 1 Corinthians 12. But, but that, you know what? Those are not the only two things that are in the Bible. Tongues and interpretation of tongues are just two uh, of, uh, of nine total gifts because we believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe in the word of prophecy and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. We believe in discerning of spirits. We believe in all of those gifts of the spirit. And, and a lot of times what I personally believe is that the vocal gifts come first because God has to inspire us to step into greater realms of faith. And so the vocal gifts like tongues and interpretation or a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge, these come first in the body of Christ so that you can be encouraged into a greater level of faith for healing, for miracles, to see God move in greater ways. Amen. So we need to, we need to pray about raising our levels of expectation and faith in God doing things in people's lives. Because I don't know about you, but I know people who are dealing with affliction, they're dealing with sickness and disease, they're dealing with bondage and addiction, and I'm telling you right now that a sermon itself cannot change a person's life. It takes the power of God. When Paul preached the gospel, he said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but it would rest in the power of God. And see, I can say all kinds of cool stuff here this morning, but if there is no power and there's no place where we as a body come into faith in Christ and believe him to do miracles in people's lives, then we're missing the whole point. It's not to just get more knowledge, even though knowledge is a wonderful thing. We're going to get some of that. We're going to, we're going to get into the scripture. And we've been preaching about seeing Jesus. And, and specifically last week, obviously, we celebrated the resurrection, and that was awesome because, because Jesus, he died on the cross, we believe, and, and, and we have what I believe to be a nearly close to verifiable proof historically uh, that, that, that what the Bible says about him is true, that he was raised again from the dead on the third day, that over 500 witnesses saw him, and he proved and demonstrated that he had absolutely conquered death he had defeated sin. He had defeated the powers of Satan. And now he offers you forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit to live a completely new life. And he will come again to restore all things. We believe that. Amen. And so one of the things that I want to get into specifically, I was just reading, you know, I was reading the story of the resurrection. I was reading different stories. And I want to talk about what Jesus did after he was raised from the dead because he met with some specific people after he was raised from the dead. And I want to talk specifically about three different people, groups of people that he, that he met with after he was raised from the dead. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, I'm going to hang out in there and just sort of go verse by verse through some of this. And this is right after uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, John chapter 20, uh, verse 11 through 18. And it says in verse 11 that Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Now, Mary has been a follower of Jesus. And at this point, it's, it's, she is weeping. She's mourning. She's going through a difficult time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to say, based on what I know about Mary and we'll look into later, that she spent a lot of time weeping. And, and I, know, I know that we have people in our church that they have gone through an, an immense amount of difficulties. And maybe you can bear witness to that fact. You'd be like, you know what? I've spent a lot of time weeping. I've spent a lot of time crying. I've spent a lot of time broken. I've spent a lot of time in pain. And she comes to the tomb because she knew the Lord and something significant was going to happen. In the very next verse it says, And, when, and she saw two angels in, in white setting, one at the head and another at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now I love this because she comes just to be close to the body of Jesus. She misses him so badly. And when she looks into the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. And on that stone, that stone was sealed. That stone was sealed with a Roman insignia, a seal of the Roman Empire. And if anybody broke that seal, it was punishable by death. And she's hanging out around the tomb with the seal broken. 
So she's got some boldness one. And you know what? Here's what I like about this. And the whole time I was reading about Mary, the Lord said to me in my spirit, he said, you know what, Clay? In your church, you got some Mary Magdalene type women in your church. He said, if it wasn't for a lot of the women in your church, y'all wouldn't have a church. Because a lot of the ministry and a lot of what I'm calling people to do in this generation is to recognize the power and the authority that God is giving to women to use them in this generation. And Because listen, throughout history, especially in the church, and women have historically been sort of pushed down. Anybody want to amen me on that? Now, I'm not a part of the liberal feminist movement or anything like that. By no means whatsoever, I think that is an anti-Christ view of the woman. But they are are not to take an arrogant approach to life, but they are to know who Jesus Christ has called them to be and to step into their calling and to proclaim the gospel and let the power of the Holy Spirit work and flow through them and to do the ministry that Jesus has called them to. And we got women in this church that are called to that and are fulfilling that ministry. Amen. She shows up to the tomb to see Jesus and on one side at his feet is an angel and on another side is an angel. Now, we've talked about the Ark of the Covenant before, and you remember the Ark of the Covenant we said was a picture of Jesus. Do you remember where the angels were? One was at the top and one was at the bottom. As if to say, everything that was in the Old Testament has now shifted and changed. And what was the presence of God in the Old Testament? You need to realize all the focus that y'all put on the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, you now need to put on Jesus because he's the center of all things. And there was an angel sitting at the feet and sitting at the head where he had been laying. And the angels begin to speak to her. And she has a conversation with these angels. And it says, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I love how they just call women woman like that, you know. You do that to your wife, anybody? Woman, why are you weeping? And that's what the angels did. And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, she is very confused She's perplexed, she's emotional, she's crying, she's broken, because as far as she knows, all of her hopes and dreams have been shattered in one moment of time. I mean, she believed that Jesus was the Messiah, she had experienced his love and his power, but see, they had never actually seen anybody other than Lazarus, right, raised from the dead, and it just didn't look like this was going to happen the way that it said, that he said it was going to happen, and it was difficult for her, and it's difficult for us, isn't it? We're just human beings, And just like what Forrest was saying this morning in his prayer is that oftentimes we come to God and I'm telling you folks, we come so short of receiving the fullness of what Jesus has paid for us to have. I mean, it's just like we just barely every day just scratch the surface. And it's so difficult for us because Mary was one of the greatest followers of Jesus. And he had proclaimed clearly, I'm going to raise on the third day, y'all. It's going to happen. But yet it's the third day and she's weeping because she's afraid that what he said is not going to happen. Now this, I don't know about you, but while I'm reading this, this exposes my own heart. I said, man, I'm just like that, Lord. I I get up and preach, man, you got to believe God. But I'll go home at the end of the night and I won't believe anything. Is anybody there with me sometimes? And it's just, I know the Bible says that. I'm tired of hearing that. You know, because a lot of times we want to wallow in our doubt and unbelief. A lot of times we want to stay there and not push past the pressure and the anxiety and the fear of actually moving into a place where we say, you know what, I've got to hang on. I've got to believe that God still is who he says he is. And, and, and all of a sudden she comes in and she says this and, and all of a sudden she says, I don't know where they've laid him, but in verse 14 it says, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, isn't that crazy how whenever Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it's the same Jesus they knew. But when they looked at him each time, they couldn't quite see and tell and understand who he was. Now, it's a mystery, but I want to submit to you that oftentimes in our pain and in our struggles, Jesus is standing right in front of us. And somehow our eyes are holding from being able to see that the answer is right there. The reason I'm weeping, the answer is right there in front of me, but I just can't see him. And she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize that it is Jesus. And I love what Jesus says in verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? He says it a second time. Two questions. Now, now, now they are speaking. Jesus is ministering and speaking specifically to those who are living in depression, those who are living in anxiety, those who who have suffered from grief and loss, those who have struggled with pain, those who have dealt with different things in their life, and they find themselves weeping. And this question has been asked to you twice. And I, and I would ask this question to you this morning. If you're broken, if you're in that state of mind, if you know people that are in that state of mind, why 
are you weeping? Then Jesus asked the second question. And he, he doubles it up. He goes beyond what the angels ask. And then he says with the next one, whom are you seeking? Not just why are you weeping, but whom are you seeking? Now, I want to tell you, just like with Mary, a lot of times the reason we weep and the reason that we are depressed or we are fearful or any of these things is because somehow or another we are believing a false reality. Now, she's believing that Jesus is dead and she may never see him again. But the truth is he's standing right there with her. And she's weeping based on something that isn't even real. Amen. And uh, let, me, let me put it to you like this. You know, when we, when we experience loss, for example, when we experience death, it is the most painful thing that human beings can experience. And that is why the central belief of the Christian faith is the fact that we believe that our Lord, God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, who was not a man, yet he became man and suffered death so that he could intentionally defeat the one thing that always would hold us in bondage. Death was our greatest enemy. Amen. And the Bible says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In order to defeat death, Jesus had to take on flesh and enter into death and defeat it from the inside out. And he came up through it from the inside out to remind you and tell you that, listen, I know that when you lose somebody, that when you suffer loss, when we experience death, there is weeping and there's pain and there is mourning and there is a time for that. There is a grief process that we must all go through. But I'm telling you, there's a time when Jesus comes along and he says, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Because the one that we are seeking, if we are seeking Jesus, we begin to see all of a sudden our hope is reignited because we know that in Christ we've never truly lost anybody every single one of us are going to face death but Jesus says specifically in John chapter 11 he says I am the resurrection and the life he says though a man were dead yet shall he live and he shall never die do you believe this I'm telling you those who have went on before us in Christ even though they have died they're not really dead that's why that's why in the in the New Testament when you read they actually call it falling asleep now, we know they didn't just fall asleep, did we? Matter of fact, Jesus went into a young girl one time who was dead, and he said, listen, the little girl's okay. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they literally started laughing at him at a funeral, which would have been awkward. And they're laughing at him at a funeral, and he says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they said, what are you talking about? She's dead. But see, they, Jesus changed the language on it because we believe that death is the end, and Jesus is saying, no, death is only the beginning. It's sort of like almost a sleep state. And really, and the people say, well, you know, where do people go when they die? Now, we believe that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means that when you die, when your loved ones die, their spirit, who they are in essence, is with the Lord instantaneously. But their body is not yet resurrected, but it will be. Okay? And they're, 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 they're in this waiting moment, so to speak, so that when our bodies are transformed, when their bodies are, when we're resurrected, when they're resurrected, who or whatever it is, everything is changing. And that moment is coming when all things are made new and all things come into that place. He says, who is it that you are seeking? And so you've got to ask yourself that question right now. Who is it that you are seeking? If you're broken, if you're weeping, I'm telling you, if you seek Jesus, you'll find comfort. You'll find peace. You'll find restoration. And then it says in the very next verse, or in the same verse, actually, we're still in verse 15. It says, she supposing him to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, have you ever mistaken a gardener for Jesus? I have, right? Everybody mistakes the gardeners for Jesus all the time. I think it's interesting, though, that Jesus is raised from the dead in, in a garden and he is the last Adam. Now, she mistakes him from the garden, and there's a nugget here of truth because the first Adam, where was he placed when he was made? He was placed in a garden. And his, 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 his task was to make sure, was to guard the garden, to make sure that nothing that would defile would come into the garden. And if anything grew up that was not supposed to grow up in that place, he was to uproot it and protect and make sure that the garden was cultivated and growing good fruits. But he failed, an intruder, the serpent came in, and all of a sudden there were seeds of lies and seeds of doubt and seeds of false views of God and seeds of hatred that got sown. And in the garden of our hearts, this bitterness, this anger, this rage, this hurt, this depression, this emptiness, it began to grow up in our lives and we suffered sin, which ultimately led to death. But let me tell you something, there is a new gardener 
the last Adam. And when he comes in, he comes into our hearts and he begins to uproot the weeds of bitterness and hatred and anger. And he says, I'm making a new creation out of you. And the old things are going to pass away because there's a new garden with new soil. And I'm planting new seed and I'm bringing abundant life. And that life will last eternally. And you will go forth and you will bear much fruit. She mistakes him for the gardener accurately because he is the divine gardener that's working on your heart right now. And in verse 16, he says, Jesus, it says, Jesus said to her, Mary, and when he says her name, she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. I don't know if you know this or not, but you need to get to a place where you develop a relationship with Jesus. Now, I gotta, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I've never heard an audible voice of God. I've heard of people that have. But I will tell you this, that I know when the Lord says to me, Clay, and I don't know how to explain that to you. I can't tell you. The only thing I know is that I know when that, oh, that was the Lord right there. I don't know what it is, but somewhere on the inside of me, I'm looking for the Lord. I'm wondering, Lord, where are you? And then all of a sudden, there's a voice on the inside where he calls my name. And here's what I know is he knows me for who I am. He won't treat me the same way that he treats you in a lot of regards. Why? Because I'm different than you. He knows you intimately. He knows what you like. He knows what you dislike. He knows what you're thinking, what you're not thinking. And so he deals with us personally because it's just like with your children. If you have children, you're not going to get for your little girl a football because she don't like football. You understand what I'm saying? But your son, you're going to get him that because that's what he loves. God knows you that intimately. And all of a sudden, when he speaks her voice, then she knows it's the Lord. And see, when you have that personal relationship with the Lord and he speaks your voice, you know it's the Lord and your eyes are open. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. And you say, well, I ne I've never heard the voice of God. I would say that if you are a Christian, you absolutely have heard the voice of God or you would not be a Christian. It's just that our relationship is being developed in the spirit and we're getting into the place where we learn to hear him more clearly. And Jesus said to her in verse 17, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now imagine Mary realizes, man, he's alive. She wraps her arms around him. She clings to him. And Jesus is saying, look, don't cling to me. I've not ascended yet. It'll be weird if I sin and you show up there with me and they'll be like, what's Mary doing here? Right? Don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended. And so, so, she, so she's saying this and, 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 he, and he's doing all these things. He's talking to her in verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, it's very interesting because this whole, this whole setting is introduced and she's going to the tomb to check him out. And the first thing that she encounters is angels. I don't know if anybody in here has ever encountered any angels. But here's one of the things that you have to realize about the world that we live in is that there are two realms to the world that we live in. And honestly, if you can't figure that out and can't understand that, you're going to miss a lot about the Christian life. Because you are a spirit and we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's why we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. Because we believe that the superior reality is actually in a realm that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And that means that behind the scenes, right now in this moment, listen, there is a battle raging and going on in, uh, over all of our lives. Angels and demons are at war. Angels are mentioned in 58 of 66 books of the Bible over 300 times. Amen? It's mentioned throughout, and you see angels that work throughout. And in this particular situation, a lot of times when people saw angels, they just thought they were men. Hebrews says that many have entertained angels unaware. They didn't even realize that they were dealing with angels when the angels were around. But the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth by God to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but we get awful hyper-focused on the devil sometimes, don't we? We get hyper-focused on the devil. We get hyper-focused on demons. But let me tell you something. One thing is, is that he has no authority, no power over you. And not only that, when the angels fell, Lucifer only took one-third that means that you've got double the amount of angels on your side than you do demons against you. Somebody amen me this morning. So we're, we're in a battle in the spiritual realm. And here's the thing. We have to come into a gr agreement with God in the spirit. And when we worship, 
When we speak God's word, when we pray, we're coming into agreement with God in the spirit. And every time an angel sees agreement on earth, he says, I'm going to enforce with that human being on earth as it is in heaven. So it's like the angels are literally looking around and demons are too, because demons are looking to see if they can get you to agree with them. And if they can get you to agree with them, they will take over your life and they will run your life. But if you come into agreement with God and his word, angels are released and dispatched and says, that's one that is in mind and in agreement with the kingdom. And I can work with them to bring heaven on earth. Somebody amen me. That's good, right? That's why angels are at work. They're sent around us to minister and to be at work. Now she sees the resurrected Jesus. Now there's a difference between being resurrected and being revived. Because Jesus goes, and you remember, he, he actually raises Lazarus from the dead. Y'all remember that story. Lazarus dies. He waits four days. They're crying. Even Jesus wept because he lost his friend. Death affected him in the same way. But he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day, specifically. And when he's raised from the dead, you know, here's the thing about Lazarus. And you know, a lot of times we lose people, and I believe in healing. I believe people get healed, but I've prayed for lots of people who have never gotten healed and we've seen people die. And here's what we know is that we know that even if you do get healed in this life, you're still going to die. Even if you do, you're still going to die. Lazarus was raised from the dead and guess what? Some 30, 40 years later, he died again. But it's funny, there's a, there's a story. See, because he was not resurrected, he was revived. There's a difference. To be resurrected, once a person gets resurrected, they are given a new glorified body and they can never die again. They get a nine-dimensional body that cannot experience pain. It cannot experience suffering. It moves in different ways. Jesus would just show up in a building. They'd be like, oh gosh, there's Jesus. He didn't even come. Where, I thought y'all had the doors locked. He came through it. I don't know. I mean, he's, got a, he's got a glorified body that cannot suffer death any longer. And he is the first one from the dead with a resurrected, glorified body. Now, Lazarus is raised and he's revived. But, you know, there was a play that was written called Lazarus Laughs. And I love it because it's kind of based on true historical information. And after Lazarus was raised from the dead, it says that the Jews sought to kill Lazarus after he'd been raised from the dead. They're like, man, he's going to tell everybody that Jesus raised him from the dead. Let's go kill him again. And so, so what ends up happening is the Roman Empire... Caligula hears about this story and Caligula, the emperor of the time in about AD 40, goes down to visit Lazarus several years after Jesus has died. And he has a conversation with Lazarus and he's talking to him about this stuff to see if whether or not he was really raised from the dead or not. And Caligula basically threatens him and tells him to quit telling that story or he's going to kill him. And the story says that Lazarus began to laugh hysterically in front of the emperor's face. I love that story. He's laughing hysterically. And all of a sudden, when he finally catches his breath, he says, how is it that you think you can threaten me with death when the one I love has already raised me up? Man, I love that. He laughs hysterically in the face of death because he's had an encounter with the one who is the resurrection and the life. Now, he knows he's going to die again, but guess what? He's not afraid. Because he knows that the next time he gets raised from the dead, he's going to experience glorification and he's going to see Jesus and he's going to know him and he's going to move in that. Now listen, Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears over the course of 40 days and, and he comes. And the first thing that I want to say to you is that Jesus heals our pain. When we look at the story of Mary, the thing that you have to know, even after he's resurrected, because listen, he's raised from the dead. He could do anything. But what I love about him is he just he's, he acts like a normal person and he goes around ministering to his loved ones, ministering to his friends, talking to them. And he ministers first to Mary. And here's what you got to understand about Mary. Her name literally means bitterness. OK, Mary comes from Marah, which means bitterness and rebellion. And that's you and I. We live in bitterness before Christ. We live in rebellion. But her second name, Magdalene, means to grow and become great. And many of you, you've gone through suffering, you've gone through pain, you've gone through difficulty, and you've been in bitterness. And in some instances with God, you've even been in rebellion. But he will heal your pain to the degree that in the place of your bitterness and in the place of your rebellion, out of that very spot is where you're going to grow and become great. 
I think about people that have been through abuse and now they're healed and they're able to help those who've been abused. People that have gone through drug addiction that are now are set free and are able to minister to those and they grow and become great in that area. But there's people that have suffered from, with, with abortion and different things like that and God heals them and delivers them from the pain of that past and then they're able to minister to those who are dealing with the same issues because when in the place of your bitterness, in the place of your rebellion is where God wants to heal you and make you great in that area. That's the spot that he's coming after. It's in your weakness. It's in your pain. And she's honored because Mary is the first person to preach the resurrection of Christ. And in those times, a woman's testimony would not even be verifiable in court. So that's how you know the Bible is true because they would have picked a different story. They would have got a man to show up. But the truth was, is that Mary was at the tomb. Mary was the first to show up and Jesus honored her. But Mary had gone through a lot of pain. Let's talk about Mary just for a moment because Mary, her life was, was difficult. In Luke chapter 8, let's read Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 right quick. It says, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, and he preaches the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world. Then the end shall come. And we're right on the verge of preaching this gospel of the kingdom in every place in the world. There's still a few unreached people groups, but they're about to be reached. So that's something to think about. But this gospel of the kingdom is different because it is an invasion of God's kingdom into your life. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is there sin in God's kingdom? No. Is there sickness or death in God's kingdom? No. And when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, what happened? The kingdom would invade death and it would raise them back to life. The kingdom would invade sickness and they would be raised in health. The kingdom would invade sin and sin would be broken off their life because he was releasing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So when that kingdom encountered him in the next verse, when that kingdom came through him, he encountered certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, most people I know, they've not seen this, but I've got to be honest with you. I've seen a, a few occasions where several demons have come out of people. So, because, and the reason I say that is because I want you to know that the Bible is not just mythological. It's not just a weird story that happened back 2,000 years ago, but it is a reality that you actually need to learn to impose in your world today. And if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, but now to this point, I've seen about se several situations where demons have named themselves in human beings and come out of those human beings at, at the command of Jesus. Amen. And there are more people than you'd realize that are demonized in our world today and they need an encounter with Jesus. I can't set them free. I can't set them free at all. But see, these women, and Luke, here's what's interesting about Luke, is Luke is a physician. He's a medical doctor. Historical fact. But yet he recognizes that there were things that these women were healed of that were not physical in nature. Some things are physical in nature. You know what I'm saying? Like I have allergies really, really, really bad. Anybody else have them really bad? Praise God, I would hate them. I've been cursing them in the name of Jesus for years, believing God for healing. And you know what? And because it's not happening, you know what I do instead? I take Zizol and I take Flonase. Praise God. I prayed, about, I prayed about it last year. I said, Lord, I've been praying for healing. I've been crying out. I need deliverance from these allergies. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to take some Zizol and some Flonase. Now, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, and I've seen, God he, I've seen God heal different things, but it helped me. Those two things did. I'm still believing God for full, full deliverance, right? Amen. But you understand my point is, is we don't want to get so far out in left field that we believe it's never necessary to go to a doctor or believe in medicine. There are helpful things available for us. There are. There are helpful things that are available for us. But I would say this. I would say that no matter what you are doing, you need to inquire of the Holy Spirit. And tell him, ask him, Lord, what should I do in this situation? Should I believe? I mean, and, and either way, even if you're taking medicine, you still can believe God for miracles in your body and in your life. It's not, it's not one of those things where like God is not going to, well, if, you, if you're going to trust in the medicine, bless God, I ain't going to heal you. No, God's more loving than that. 
There are many times when people came to Jesus and they didn't even believe. They said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he would heal them anyway. That's how good he is. Because sometimes our faith, just like Forrest said, is not very great, is it? But I, I, I tell you how good Jesus is, is even when your faith is not that great, he will step in and have great faith for you. That's how good he is. That's how much he loves you. And so he comes in there, he casts these seven demons out of her, and she's, got, she's been oppressed, she has been tormented, she has been afflicted, she's dealt with all these things. I, 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 was, I was ministering the Friday night at a place, and I was telling a couple of testimonies. And I want to tell this one again because it's just such a good testimony. Like, I, I'm still just, like, messed up over it. Back in February, I got a call from a lady and... Uh, and this lady I know, and I, I preached at her church uh, years back, and she calls me and she says, listen, I need help bad. She's, she's crying. She says, my son, he's 30 years old. He came home, and it's like he, he almost killed his dad last night. He scared me to death. And it's, Clay, she said, Clay, it's something demonic. And about as soon as she said that, I thought, I wonder if I can hang up on her and, not, and just avoid her. Because I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel bold when I hear stuff like that. I don't think, yeah, I'm about ready to take on the devil. That's not, that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is, oh gosh. Like it's, I get, you know, because I'm a human being. And she said, she said, and I didn't know who else to call. We've took him to the doctor. They've diagnosed him with multiple personality disorder. We don't know what to do. We don't, I, said, I was like, well, I don't either. Um, uh, she said, well, can, can you just at least talk to him and pray for him or something? I said, yeah, let, have, him, have him come meet me and, and we'll do it. So I spent, I spent the next week in prayer and fasting. And, and he met me here at the church one night before we had a worship night. And uh, we, we spent about two or three hours, and I was, I was talking to him. And, but before, before we pr- I, had, I had several people praying with me about this situation. And before we, 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 we prayed, and I was in here praying, and the Lord gave us a word of knowledge, and it was confirmed through another person. And I just got this name. I got this name. It was the weirdest thing. And it, uh, this name just came to us, and we got this name, and we went in there, and, and, and as we're talking to him, we're talking about his multiple personality disorder and stuff like that. And since he was 10 years old, he had had two voices in his head that he always heard. And they, he had conversations with them. Sometimes one of them would take over, so to speak. And he would, after a while, it's almost like he blacked out and he'd come back too. And he had done things that, he told me some crazy stuff that he had done that honestly, if he'd been caught, he'd been put in prison for. And uh, about the, so as I'm talking to him, I'm a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. And I was sitting there with him. I think Brian was in there with me. And we, you know, Donald was in there and we were sitting there and talking to him and, and, uh, and, he, and we were talking to him about one of the personalities, he gave it a name, and he said what it was like. And then the other personality, he said, he, 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 said, he was talking about him, and, he said, and I said, well, what was his name? And he said, uh, I can't tell you that. And I said, why? You know, we were just like, why, why can't? He said, I'm afraid if I say his name, he'll, he'll take over. And I said, well, you know, I don't know for sure. I said, what, what, would, I, what would you say if I told you that the Lord gave me, gave me the name of the guy? Now, about this point, I was kind of freaking out. I was like, if I say yes, he takes over. We're about ready to get down. <laughs> and so anyway, I said the name, and he just looked at me, and he, said, he, he basically said, yeah, that's, that's it. And, uh, and it turns out, I, to make a long story short, we met with him two times. And the second time, we decided we had really figured some stuff out, some things that had happened in his past. When he was 10, he opened some doors. He had tortured some animals. And at that point, Satan had got a hold of him, and, and he had gotten really, he had gotten fascinated with spirit boxes and Ouija boards and stuff like that, and it just led him down this path. And he'd had these two personalities in his mind, fully developed personalities, all of his life. And we prayed, and we renounced those things, and we spoke to those spirits and commanded them to leave in the name of Jesus. And to this day, I've been, I've been hearing from him about every other week, and he's saying, man, the Lord is awesome. He, he heard it for 20 years. He heard two voices in his head every day. And since we prayed for him, Jesus delivered him. He's not heard a voice one time. So the, now here's the thing. I have counseled with several people that, that have multiple personality disorder. And I want you to understand something. I've never seen breakthrough in that area before. And here's what I need you to understand about how God heals and how God moves is that when we, when we see sickness, when we see disease, when we even see mental illness or different things like that, we pray one time, we don't see breakthrough, and we say, well, it just don't work. 
And what I'm telling you is that we have to understand and learn that the kingdom is breaking in, but it breaks in to the degree that we persist and pray and believe God. And just because you don't see it happen immediately does not mean you give up. That means that you press in harder, you pray, you fast, and you say, God, we need a breakthrough in this area because people remain in bondage, people remain in torment, people remain in affliction, and you are the only way that they're going to be set free because we can't do it. There is no way I could have... Well, somebody said, well, you know, I know somebody with that. I'm going to send them to you, Clay. Don't send them to me. Pray about what Jesus would have you do with them. Because I'm not the healer. God can use me, but guess what? He can use you. And He'll use who He chooses. And on that particular day, for whatever reason, He chose to use us, right? But, that, but, 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 but we, have to, we have to believe God for this stuff, y'all. I mean, it's just because we live in a world, man, where it's just religion and you just believe some random things on and come to church on Sunday and you just go about your day to day business. And meanwhile, we live in a world where people are suffering. And if the power of God does not show up to minister to them, they're going to remain in that way. People with with disorders like that, we usually just throw them to the side. Say, well, they're just going to be like that their whole life. That's a sad thing. Maybe it was God's will. No, it is not God's will. When Jesus shows up on the scene, you tell me one time where Jesus showed up on the scene with a sick person or afflicted person or a demonized person or a tormented person and said, this is just the Father's will. We're going to leave them as is and went on. Not once. Not one time. Now, we're not Jesus, but we need to pursue him until he shows up and brings breakthrough. Amen. Now, I want you to notice this. I meant to preach quick, but that's like that's a miracle in itself, too, there. Like, if y'all want to pray for breakthrough and miracles, get it that I can preach shorter. The next verse in verse 3 says, And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, which is a good name if you're having children, Herod Steward and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now, these women, listen, Mary went from darkness, from bitterness and pain to being made whole. Some people say that she might have even been the woman that was caught in adultery when Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And then he commenced to bring deliverance into her life and setting her free from these seven demons of lust and pain and abuse and rejection and abandonment or whatever else was in her heart. And he delivers her and she goes from from darkness to light. And you know what she says? She says, if Jesus is doing it, then I'm following him. If Jesus says it, I believe it. And whatever he's doing, I'm funding it. And she began to give of her substance toward him. Do you know how you can tell if somebody's had a real encounter with Jesus? Commitment. Somebody amen me right there. Because I'm going to tell you something. In our world today, there ain't, but you very few people you're going to find committed to the Lord. Committed to his church. Committed to the ministry. And when you do find ones that are committed... I'll tell you what it is. It's because they've had an encounter with Jesus and he's brought them out of darkness and into the light and they know it. They've experienced it and they're willing to set everything aside to follow him. See, everyone's taking from Jesus, but she chooses to give to Jesus. She is committed to the Lord. And some of you all, you know, you've been in that situation where she's at. You've been in bitterness, you've been in pain, you've been in rejection and you've been consumed by it. But I'm telling you, just like with her, Jesus is standing right there. He's ready to heal you. He's ready to start to deal with those pains and bring those things up and minister to those. The second thing I want to talk about, let's go to the next little passage of Scripture there, is that Jesus relieves our fears. Chapter 20, verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, one of the things I love about this verse is it says that they were, they were assembled on the first day of the week. You know what the first day of the week is? We think it's Monday. Back then it was Sunday. Saturday was the Sabbath. You rested that day. And the first day of the week for those people on their calendar was Sunday. But because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday, it changed the calendar. And you got a two-day weekend. Now, that's a reason to give God praise. Before that, there was a one-day weekend. The Sabbath was Saturday. You worked six days a week, and you rested on Saturday. And then Jesus was raised from the dead. It was the first day of the week. Let me, let me tell you this. Those men were supposed to be working that day, but they were, guess where they were at? Meeting for church. How many of you would not even be here if you had to meet and go to work on Sunday? Right? Somebody amen me. I know. You wouldn't even be here. 
Because we only do what's convenient for us. These men decided, you know what, boys, we're going to have to either meet early or meet late, but we're going to have to meet. We'll get to work. We'll go before or something like that because they were changing the calendar. And that it was you wasn't going to work. You wasn't going to sit and meet in church on a Sunday, but they chose to be there. And I'll tell you what. See, they were in this room, but they were there with the doors locked, it says. And some churches honestly have the doors locked. And I, I don't want to say this. I don't believe that we have the doors locked. But in one sense, I think sometimes we lock our own selves in because we don't go out. But sometimes churches lock the doors on certain people. They say, well, you're not like us or you don't look like us or maybe you don't have our same style or maybe you're not this or maybe you're not that. Let me tell you something. Our doors are open to every human being on this planet. I don't care if they murdered somebody in the past. I don't care if, if, if they're gay or lesbian. I don't care who they are. Our doors are open for them to meet with Jesus Christ because we can't change them and we can't save them. But I don't know about you, but I know who I used to be before I met Jesus. And so it doesn't scare me what anybody might be right now because I know what can happen to them when they have a real encounter with a living Jesus. And the only way that they're really going to have that encounter is if we as the body of Christ are filled with the Spirit of God to the degree that when they come into our presence, they say, these people are different. These are not just religious people. These people hang out with the Lord. There's something different about these people. These people love me and accept me even in my mess, even when I don't have things figured out. Even when I'm wrestling with questions and doubt and fear and all this stuff, these people accept me. And see, here's the other thing, is that Jesus finds a way to show up in church. And I'm telling you something. Listen, many people say, well, you know, I I don't come to church that much. I kind of got my own relationship with Jesus and this and that. You are not fully committed to Jesus if you are not fully committed to his church. And I'm not just talking about City of Hope Church. I'm talking about being committed to a body of believers, a community of believers. Jesus taught clearly that it is impossible to be committed to him and not be committed to his church body. Because he says you're one another. You are one bread. You can't be individualistic in that sense. And when we meet together, we can have encounters with Jesus alone at home, can't we? And we should. But when we meet together, there's a greater potential for Jesus to show up because he loves to meet with his family. He loves to sit down and eat with his family. He loves to hang out with his family. He's here this morning because he loves you and he wants to spend time with his family. Now, when Jesus shows up, he shows up to give peace, purpose, and presence. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Verse 20, it says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now the first thing that Jesus does is he comes in and he gives peace. Now in our world, people deal with fear, People deal with anxiety in immense proportions. Right now, let's just, let, let me just take a... How many of you, you'd say you regularly deal with fear and anxiety? Right? It happens a lot. People deal with it. And they struggle with it. And it, and it overwhelms them. And here's what I want you to understand is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and He desires you to have peace. But the first thing you must have is peace with God. Jesus forgives you of all sin and he gives you peace with God. But the second thing is that when you have peace with God, now you can enter into a relationship because your sins are forgiven, you're washed clean, you have access to God's presence. And now when you build a relationship with him, you're still dealing with the same circumstances of life. But now you know because you're connected to the one who holds the world in his hand, who's got your life structured and ordered. He knows what's before you. He knows what's behind you. He releases a peace to you through the Holy Spirit that passes all understanding and it begins to overwhelm your emotions and he comes into these guys who are afraid because they are they're they're in the they're they're afraid they're going to get killed because the word goes out that they're the dudes that robbed the body from the tomb and they're hiding for fear of the jews they're like boys if anybody finds out we're christians we're going to get killed and they're hiding what's the reason you think that most of us don't buy somebody a bible or share our faith with somebody, or invite somebody to church? I can tell you the answer. It's the same reason they had. It's because of our fears. 
We're afraid. Well, they'll find out I'm a Christian. They'll, find, they'll think I'm crazy. Let me tell you something. Man. There, there are so many people in this world that, are, that, that got their own parades and are half crazy and doing their own thing. If we're going to be crazy, let's just go ahead and be crazy. We believe that God became man and that he was born of a virgin and that he died and was raised again on the dead on the third day and he's going to come back again and reset everything and heal everything. That's what we believe. You think that's crazy? We don't care. And we're going to proclaim it because, listen, if you don't believe it too, we believe that there's an eternal eternity awaiting you that is not going to be good. And so we're going to proclaim it boldly. And he gives them purpose. He says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. If you are a Christian, you need to understand that you are a missionary. You can't say, you cannot say as a Christian, well, God, thank God God called Pastor Clay to preach the gospel, and now I can just come and listen. No, you are a missionary to your home. You're a missionary to your workplace. You're a missionary to those people that you come in contact with. Because if you are a Christian, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And the Son of God was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And he said he has come to seek and save that which was lost. So guess what? You are sent now in the name of Jesus to destroy the works of the devil and to seek and to save that which has been lost. It's your calling. You've got to go out and proclaim. He gives them purpose to overcome their fear. And then lastly, he breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand the very man that denied Jesus three times when he was filled and impacted with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The very man that denied Jesus three times when he received the power of the Holy Spirit, he went out and preached to the people that he was afraid of. And he proclaimed the gospel with power and with fearlessness. I experienced this in my own life. When I was seeking Jesus for the first year of my life, I had no power over sin. I had no power over my addictions. I had no power over my struggles. And then when I had an encounter with God and he filled me with his spirit, I kid you not, the very moment it happened, you could not keep me from telling my friends about Jesus. And before that, I could not open my mouth. Why? Because I was afraid of what they would think about me. The Holy Spirit gives you power to do what you could never do before. And you need to understand that the Christian life is a supernatural life. Whatever God calls you to do, He is going to enable you to do it because without His power, it is impossible. But He gives you the Holy Spirit and sends you out in your purpose. And see, it's a supernatural life. And He sends them out. Now, here's my last one. Now, this is the guy that I'm doing. Y'all can come to the music. The last one is that Jesus dissolves our doubts. Jesus dissolves our doubts. And I love Thomas in verse 24. It says, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Now Thomas was that guy that didn't show up for church. Y'all know that guy, right? You guys aren't that guy, obviously. You're here, praise God. But Thomas is that guy like out of you had a good service and somebody got healed or, or the, somebody got saved. Like you go to Thomas and tell him about it. He'd be like, Psh, I don't even believe that. Y'all know that dude? Hey, that's me. I, at heart, I'm a skeptic. At heart, I doubt. At heart, I am one of the greatest pessimists in the world. Anybody, anybody on that level with me? Like, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I spent the first 20 years of my life always believing the worst. And it's almost like it got rooted into me. And the only way that I can change and get some optimism and get some faith is when the Holy Spirit ignites me. Because I'm just, I'm, I just tend to go in the, in the negative direction. I told Forrest the other day, he said, how you been doing, man? I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I've been being real negative, and it's, and it's been working out. It's been working out great. But that's not true. It's not true. But, but, but you can slip into that place of negativity. And Thomas, he does that. He's not in church. He's a realist. He's a pessimist. Verse 24, 25, it says, Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came to church. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. They saw the Lord. Why? Because they were at church, praise God. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now I love this because he's just being bold and saying, I, I ain't even going to believe that stuff. Verse 26 and 27, it says, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with him. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. You know that all the other ten disciples at that time were like, Uh-oh, Thomas didn't really said he wasn't going to believe in there, Jesus. This is pretty cool. I mean, that's what I'd have been like. You know what I'm saying? There he is. There he is. Thomas talked about he don't believe. Look at her. 
I mean, that's what I've been like. But y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, even when God moves, I mean, there, there are people when I just told that testimony a minute about somebody getting set free from multiple personality disorder. There were people in here that were thinking, I don't know about that, Clay. I don't know about that. You're Thomas. You're me. If I, listen, if I was sitting here and I'd never been in church before and I came in and I heard me say that, I'd say, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because that's, that's what you do. And, and, and he, he's in this place of doubt. But Jesus shows up in your doubt. So Jesus shows up in your pain with Mary. He shows up in your fear when you're afraid to step out into what God's calling you. And then finally, Jesus shows up in the midst of Thomas's doubts. In your pain, Jesus shows up. In your fear, Jesus shows up. In your doubts, Jesus shows up. And what I love about Jesus is he shows up in the worst times of people when these people should have believed him. He already told them what was going to happen. He could have easily come and been upset and said, are y'all kidding me right now? I told you I was coming back. But he doesn't do that because he's not rude. He comes with love. He comes with compassion. And he meets them where they're at. You say, well, which one does Jesus meet after he's raised from the dead? He meets them all exactly where they're at. Everybody deals with life differently. Mary dealt with life because she, she was grieving and she had to go to the tomb. She needed to be close to the body. The disciples, they decided to meet together and grieve and, and, and think about things and mess with things. And Thomas decided to grieve by isolating himself and being independent and alone. Like I said, I'm Thomas. If I'm any of those guys, I'm Thomas. And so I, and then, then Jesus, though, he meets them all exactly where they're at to minister to their pain, to minister to their fears, and to minister to their doubts. And I love what Thomas says in verse, well, verse 27, it says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Have any of you all ever placed a crazy demand on the Lord and he actually followed through with it? I mean, Thomas, in his doubt, says, I won't believe unless I see the nail scars. And Jesus shows up and says, Peace be to you. Check out these scars. Because sometimes when you ask the Lord for crazy stuff, I, I'm telling you right now, He'll show up and He'll, He'll meet it. Sometimes when you put crazy demands on God every now and then, He'll just come up and He'll meet those. Thomas answered and said to Him, My Lord and my God. It's, that's the right response. See, this morning, some of, God, some of you, He was calling you, the Spirit was calling you to respond, and you need to respond with that. My Lord and my God. And in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen, you and I, we've not seen Jesus, but yet we believe, don't we? And the time is coming because we believe that we will see him face to face. And the Bible says that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But until that day, we are going to remain and believe. And because we believe, Jesus says, there's a split special blessing upon you because you choose to believe even when you haven't seen. Even when you're not absolutely sure based on your physical, logical mind, you choose to believe. And I love this last verse, these last two verses. I'm going to go ahead and read them since I've about read the whole chapter anyway. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And this is not just long life. This is, this is quality of life. This is abundant life. The Scripture says that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This life that Jesus has paid for us to have is an abundant life. Amen. Amen.